missed opportunities or wasted opportunities. Paul is saying that we too need to be watchful in seizing every opportunity to do our own buying up daily. Just like the opportunities in the old-time markets, our lives are but a mist that appears for a little while and then vanish. Our days are not only short-lived, but they are evil. And every day we're each presented with the same momentary, momentary and wicked marketplace. But instead of goods being sold, it's time. So what is the currency that we buy up time with? Well, it's time. And actually, it's time that's already been purchased by Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says that we were bought with a price. We, therefore, our time, were bought with a price. And that price was Christ's life. We in the new covenant community don't own our bodies and we do not own our time. And every day we're given a, a blank check directly from our master to buy up time for his glory. Daily we're faced with the decision of how we'll invest this blank check of time. And there will always be an opportunity cost associated with it. We could have spent the currency on something else for a different purpose. And since the days are wicked, we are to pay close attention so that we make the best use of this blood-bought time as we deny ourselves and follow Jesus. A word to Christians here. How are you investing the time that's been loaned to you? How faithful would you say that you are with this blood-bought time? I wish that our Father in heaven could always say to me in response to the way that I've spent my time, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. But sadly, that's not the case. I can't tell you how many times in the past that I've looked just at my internet browser history and seen the time that I've wasted on things that have zero impact, zero impact on furthering God's kingdom. Sports, gardening, technology, smart home gadgetry, hair products. Hey, this hair is not going to take care of itself, right? Just a sampling of foolish ways that I buy up time unproductively. I can mindlessly and impulsively react to any thought that pops in my mind. I wonder what such and such person from high school is doing nowadays. And I'll go try and look it up. I wonder what such and such actor from such and such television show when I was growing up is doing nowadays. Screech, saved by the bell. <laughs> I then get led into the internet's deep rabbit holes. Holes. And I'll ask myself, how in the world did I get to this live feed of kitten cam? 
your internet browser history logs all the sites you visited along with a timestamp. It's an account of what you did and how long you spent on those sites. Now, let's step outside of the internet world and into the real world. What if we could look at a log with specifics of what you did during the day and how long you spent doing those things? Your own life's daily browser history. What would we see on your life's daily browser history? Just as Eric Carl asks in his picture book, brown bear, brown bear, what do you see? My question to you now, Christian, is, as you look at how you invest your time, Christian, Christian, what do you see? Do you see your time being invested to build up the church and God's eternal kingdom? Or do you see a pattern of misusing your time to build up your own personal, earthly, dinky, decaying kingdom? And perhaps you see that you rationalize any misuse of this time. Do you see time blocked out and devoted to reading and meditating on his word? Or do you see hours wasted on social media? Do you see time spent in prayer, praying for the church and the church members, praying for the nations? Or do you see time splurged on an excessive amount of shows? Do you see time intentionally invested in others, helping to meet their needs, perhaps reading the Bible with them, coming to a Sunday evening gathering? Or do you see a habit of carelessly frittering away the time you spend with souls that God has placed in your life? Do you even see these things as sin against a holy God? Christian, Christian, what do you see? There's an author by the name of Michael Hyatt who's written a number of leadership and planning books, and he's been quoted as saying, claim your calendar before someone else does. Claim your calendar before someone else does. One way to take this is if you're not watchful of how you're investing your time, you will mindlessly squander your time. Use your spiritual street smarts to plan and budget your time. I've just recently gotten back in the habit of planning, using a planner to budget my time in this area. So Christian, repent from your faithless spending of time and trust in the Lord afresh. The days are wicked. Develop healthy habits of being watchful of your time. Regularly asking yourself questions like, is what I'm doing right now in this moment, honoring to the Lord? Or perhaps as you look at your upcoming week, is what I'm planning to do with my time going to be honoring to the Lord? Be intentional with your time. Plan your day. Buy up that time wisely. If you're not a Christian, thank you for being here this morning. My question to you is, what do you spend your time on. Our time goes to where our hearts direct it. So what does your time go towards? 
We are all natural time and life wasters, Christians and non-Christians alike. We don't selflessly use it, spend it for God's glory, but selfishly for our own. And on this earth, we will never buy up the time perfectly for his glory, despite all of our efforts. And the Bible refers to these self-pursuits as sin. Sin that separates us from a holy God. Sin that deserves an eternity separated from our creator under his wrath in hell. And that's the bad news. That we are condemned to hell for our sins. But the good news is that God sent his son Jesus to use his time perfectly and selflessly for us doing what we could never do. He obeyed God to the point of death, bearing the wrath of God on the cross for those who repent from their sins of self-pursuits and put their faith in him. God's purpose for your life is for you to repent, turn away from your time wasting, your time that's not spent for his glory and for you to put your faith in his son, Jesus. Realize that your time is a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Your time is short. Therefore, your time to repent and trust in Christ is today, now. Trusting in Christ does not mean a wasted life, but rather, Jesus says in Matthew 10, 39, anyone who finds his life will lose it. And anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. If you have more questions about Jesus, feel free to ask me, John E., the pastor who was up here and will be here up here um, when I'm done preaching, or any member here at Bethany Baptist Church, perhaps someone who had, had invited you. So, you walk in wisdom watchfully as you buy up the time, and point number two, you walk in wisdom watchfully as you comply. Comply with the Lord's will. Comply with the Lord's will. So let's look at verse 17. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. The word so that you see there begins the sentence, or in other translations, therefore. And it's there to point us back to what was written before. As we take into consideration what Paul had just written in verses 15 and 16, another way to read verse 17 is, since our time is limited, and since the days are evil, don't be foolish, but rather understand what the will of the Lord is. So that brings up the question, what is the will of the Lord? Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that God's revealed will also known as his will of command, is the word of his law. The word's will are the words of his law. And Deuteronomy goes on to say that these words are meant to be followed or, another way to say follow is, complied with. Simply knowing what the Lord's will is just isn't enough. 
We must comply with it. James says to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. And what does he finish that sentence with? Deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word and not just hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Don't just know what God's word is. Comply with it. Obey it. Because if you don't, if you don't do that, what will you be doing? Deceiving yourself. In our passage here in Ephesians 5, Paul has already set a threatening tone, telling us that we need to pay, to, to pay special attention so that we're not foolish because the days are evil. And then James tells us that we're at risk of deceiving ourselves. So how do we understand what the Lord's will is and not interpret it as our own sinful will? Let's go ahead and keep your, fi- your, 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 finger. your, your finger here in Ephesians. I'm going to have you turn to Romans 12, 2. If you're using the, the Pew Bibles, it's going to pay, be on page 1006. So um, you're going to turn to the left in your Bibles. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, again, that's in, on page 1006. Romans Chapter 12, verse 2. Again, the big numbers are the chapter numbers, and the small numbers, they kind of blend in with the words, are the verse numbers. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of of God. Paul tells us here in Romans that in order to understand the will of God, we, does not, we must not conform to it, but rather be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we might understand what the will of the Lord is. So what is wrong with our minds? It would require them to be renewed. Let's turn back to um, Ephesians, and actually I'm going to have you turn to chapter 4, which is right above, on the, actually it's on the next page, no it's not, it's actually there on the same page, sorry, um, page 1038 in your pew Bibles, chapter 4, verse 17. And as we read these two verses, pay attention to, this, to, the, to, the, to the descriptions related to our minds. Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer live or walk, another way of interpreting it, as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Let's jump to verse 20. But that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. So what are the different ways that our minds are described here? Futile or worthless 
thoughts in verse 17. A darkened understanding and ignorance, we see that in verse 18. Deceitful desires in verse 22. These are all characteristics of an old, corrupted, and rebellious mind. And there's a constant pressure for us to think in this way. Paul tells us not to be conformed to the way the world thinks. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. It's almost as if he's saying, Christian, in this world, there is a dunce cap of a mindset that always wants to return to its birthplace. And we're prone to be deceived. Take off that dunce cap and put on your God-exalting thinking caps so that you can walk in wisdom. And what is the cause of this worldly mindset? Let's go back to chapter 4, verse 18. It's right at the end. What does it say there? Because of the hardness of their hearts. Our hard hearts are at the root of an unrenewed mind. As a result of our hard, darkness-loving hearts, we are unable to understand what the will of the Lord is as it's commanded. Because of our hard hearts, we don't walk wisely in a dark and wicked world, but are deceived, and actually, we conform to it. We, rebelli- we rebelliously and foolishly scream at the Lord, not your will, Lord, but mine be done. In order to comply to God's word and be renewed in the spirit of our minds so that our understanding isn't darkened, but rather enlightened, our hearts have to be changed. And if you're thinking, Ben, I can't do that. I can't do that on my own. This doesn't come naturally. I would say you're right. It doesn't come naturally. It comes supernaturally. So how do we do things supernaturally? In Ephesians, turn to chapter 1. I'm going to be reading oh, I'm going to be reading verses 16 to 19. Chapter 1, just a page over, more than likely, depending on which Bible you're reading from. I never stop giving thanks to you, for I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. Here, Paul is praying for the eyes of the Ephesians' hearts to be enlightened. The only way enlightenment of our hearts happens, and the only way the renewing of our minds occurs, the only way we can comply with the Lord's will and not our own is through the Holy Spirit's work. Because we are easily deceived, we not only immerse ourselves in God's word, but we pray without ceasing for the Holy Spirit to help us comply with God's word. 
So to walk in wisdom watchfully and to comply with God's will, we read his word to know what his will is, and we pray with faith for his spirit to help us to comply. We read and pray. We read and pray. Have that on repeat. Let that chorus of read and pray be a reminder of how you walk in wisdom watchfully. So you walk in wisdom watchfully as you buy up the time. You walk in wisdom watchfully as you comply with the Lord's will. And point number three, you walk in wisdom watchfully as you rely. You rely on the Spirit's filling. Rely on the Spirit's filling. Ephesians chapter 5, 18 to 21 says, And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Here Paul tells us, not to be under the influence of wine, but rather under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We use the term spirits as a synonym for alcoholic beverages, and its origins can be traced back to 327 BC, when the Greek philosopher Aristotle wrote that drinking a distilled beer or wine put spirits into the body of the drinker, essentially possessing them. And before I became a believer, I enjoyed a regular overindulgence in spirits, in alcohol. And in my drunkenness, I submitted myself regularly to a terrible master. Drunkenness led to a loss of control of my faculties my emotions, my decision-making. Healthy, healthy inhibitions were surrendered to this master. There are plenty of forgettable moments of me surrendering control to the influence of alcohol regarding what I said, things that I did. I lived recklessly in response to being filled with this drug that we call alcohol. And Paul is telling us not to surrender control to being filled with chemical spirits, but rather he warns us that walking in wisdom requires us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he gives us three expressions of what spirit-filled people do. They sing joyfully, they're thankful, and they submit to one another. Can I assume that everyone here is familiar with at least the concept of what a bobblehead doll is? It's not a plush doll, but usually made out of plastic, and it sits stationary, somewhat, on a base. It has an overhead size relative to a smaller body, and the head is connected by a spring. 
in such a way that any external force exerted on the bobblehead doll makes the head, I'm moving my body, but it's moving the head bobble. You tap it, and it bobbles for a bit. But when you stop tapping, it eventually stops. They have bobblehead dolls now that have little solar panels attached to them. And what causes these to relentlessly bobble back and forth isn't an external force, but rather an internal one. It's a force that comes from light, from sunlight. And this force cannot be bottled up as it spills over into the head and it moves continuously. And now you have a little doll, a little bobblehead doll that is very difficult to stop. And the only way to stop them from bobbling is to physically restrain them or remove them from the light. Earlier in verse 8, Paul reminded the Ephesians that they were once darkness, but now because of the Holy Spirit that resides in them, they are light in the Lord. Similarly, when we as Christians consider these truths, when we recall all that God has done for us through Christ, as Paul records for us in Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, this joy ought to spill over into our lives in a number of ways as we do what light-filled, spirit-filled people do. We sing joyfully, we're thankful, and we submit to one another. So sub-point number one, as we rely on the Spirit's filling, we sing joyfully. We see that in verses 18 and 19 of chapter 5. But be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. When a few of us were able to attend a Sunday morning gathering at Capitol Hill Baptist Church back in September, it was a blessing to participate in such rich congregational singing. But something that really stood out to us was where the saints' singing was directed. The singing was, of course, God-oriented, but their singing was also, in addition to being oriented to God, was directed to each other. While we traditionally sing toward the direction of where our our chairs in the auditorium are facing, the congregation would swivel around as they belted out song to one another. This has encouraged us here at Bethany Baptist Church to start reorienting ourselves physically when we sing in our Sunday evening gatherings. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing the word about Christ. And singing is actually one of the ways that we speak truth to one another. Or as we say here at Bethany Baptist Church, gospelize one another. We build up one another with God's truth when we sing to one another. And when we spill over with a light that's in us, 
We not only speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, we also sing to the Lord with our hearts. Luke 6.45 says that our mouths speak from the overflow of our hearts. So when we're singing, what is the attitude of our hearts? What is our heart worshiping? What is your heart under the influence of? Pray for a heart that is tuned correctly. So as we, rely, as we rely on the Spirit's filling, we sing joyfully. And as we rely on the Spirit's filling, we are thankful. Verse 20 says, Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Paul adds to this saying that giving thanks in everything is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And giving thanks in everything literally means giving thanks in everything. We're called to be thankful when we've painfully stubbed a toe, uncertain if it's broken or not, just as I did late Friday night. We're called to be thankful when our internet isn't working, when we've got the man cold and we can't see an end to rush hour or accident-provoked traffic. We're called to be thankful when we're overwhelmed by the crashing waves, waves of life. Thankful when we're in the midst of tension in a challenging relationship. Thankful when we've, we or a loved one has received a diagnosis, perhaps even a stage four cancer diagnosis. And we're thankful when it seems absolutely possible to cry out, it is well with my soul. Because we're in the thick darkness of depression and there seems no end in sight and no reason for hope. We are called to be thankful in everything. Why, Lord? Everything? Always? It's what spirit-filled people do. It's how we walk wisely in a wicked world. When we are thankful, even when it's contradictory to our flesh, it's, it's an expression of being filled by the Holy Spirit. It's an expression of us understanding and complying with the Lord's will. Doing this is hard and may even feel impossible. Being thankful for everything is something that is difficult for everyone, as it doesn't come naturally. But how does it come? Supernaturally. Grumbling and complaining is what comes naturally to me, and maybe you can relate. So let us repent from our ingratitude and rely on the Spirit to help us give thanks in everything. Spirit-filled people sing joyfully. Spirit-filled People are thankful in another uh, supernatural expression as we rely on the Spirit's filling, we submit to one another. And that's our sub-point number three. Verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Spirit-filled people humbly submit to one another's needs. They put aside their own personal desires. They put aside their own rights and humbly serve one another in love. 
Easy to talk about, right? Much harder to do. And it's been harder ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden where the serpent convinced Adam and Eve to have it their way, to put it in Burger King's terms. Since then, because of our fallen human nature, submission does not come naturally. In fact, what comes naturally is rebellion towards authority, the authority of God, as we push to have it our way, sinfully. But as we fear Christ, knowing that God put everything under Christ's feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, that's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, as we truly revere him, as we truly stand in awe of him, as we truly submit to Christ, who is the perfect example of submission, as Christ obediently submitted to the point of death on a Christ, on, on a cross, innocently, de, um, innocently dying for us, the guilty. As we fear Christ and submit to his lordship, we put ourselves underneath others because this is what spirit-filled people humbly do. We elevate others to a point that is greater than ourselves. And consider what that might practically look like for you. It might look like meeting the needs of others, even when it requires a sacrifice of our time, of our resources, our money, or any number of resources that, he, that God has loaned us, uh, loaned us with while we're here on this earth. It might look like serving others and not expecting to be served. It might mean thoughtfully considering how someone else might be blessed and just doing it. It might mean being proactive and seeking out needs. We live in a broken world and we all have needs. Needs that can be met by other members of the church family. So just because someone doesn't say anything doesn't necessarily mean that they don't have needs. Ask others not only how you can pray for them, but how you might be able to practically serve them. So in closing, there are three ways Paul is telling us to walk in wisdom watchfully. You walk in wisdom watchfully as you buy, as you comply, and as you rely. Buy up the time, comply with the Lord's will, and rely on the Spirit's filling. So our final call to action. God's will for you is to walk in wisdom watchfully because the days are wicked. If you don't, you will dim the brightness of your light and blend in more and more with the dark world. You'll mindlessly submit to the spirit of this world as you drift further from God. And you'll become more and more self-consumed. But if you walk in wisdom, you will avoid the invisible dangers that are lurking in the darkness. You will become more and more of who you are in Christ 
and you will walk worthy of the calling that you have received. Let us walk in wisdom and be watchful because the days are wicked. Let us pray. Father, we all desire to be wise. But in order to be wise in your eyes and not on our own, we need your help. The days are evil. We ask that you would protect us from the invisible, dangerous enemy. We are a careless, self-serving people and lack spiritual street smarts. So we need your Spirit's help as we invest our time, your time. We need your Spirit's help with complying with your word. And we need your Spirit's help to fear you. We pray that you would help us to rely on you and that in response to your grace this morning, our lives would bear fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.